started in chapter 40. We started a new section we talked about in the book of Isaiah. And um, it was so new, we only got through the first eight verses or so. And part of the reason we didn't cover much ground last week was because how amazing uh, this chapter breaks in um, after the failure of Hezekiah and Isaiah's announcement that um, Jerusalem would be taken into captivity by the Babylonians, we might have expected chapter 40 to uh, continue on and further uh, explain the judgment that Isaiah had pronounced upon uh, the kingdom of Judah in chapter 39. But instead, we get uh, this amazing declaration of comfort. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So as we talked about last week, it's clear that this comfort uh, comes not uh, because of some reorientation on the part of the people, but as we discussed, it's, uh, it's God, uh, as it's, we see in verses 3 and 4, leveling hills, raising valleys, creating this straight path on which he approaches the people. Nor does the comfort that comes because of some um, inherent characteristic on the part of the people, that their fidelity will last, or their strength will last, or their beauty will last. Indeed, as we talked about last week, um, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Instead, uh, the people's hope is in this eternal, everlasting word of God. So um, uh, we started this section, and the focus I, I talked about uh, pointing forward from this point of the book is going to be on restoration. And as he presents this theme of restoration in this kind of prologue at the beginning part of chapter 40, he makes it clear that the people are unable to restore themselves. So this raises questions about the future restoration. Um, and today, we're going to focus on one of those questions about restoration, and that's on the question of ability. Can God restore his people? Can the God that allows these people to be taken off into captivity by the Babylonians, this God whose temple is going to be destroyed, this God whose people are going to be scattered, can he save? And that's going to be the focus uh, of our chapter um, uh, beginning in verse 9 through the end of this chapter, the focus is going to be on God's ability to deliver his people. Who is this God? What is he like? Can he um, follow through on what he proclaims he's going to do? But the other question um, that's kind of lying in the background in this chapter, but it's going to be prominent in the chapters to come, is does he want to restore his people. Again, you have to have the ability to save, but you also have, that, have to have that desire to save. Does he want to restore a people who have repeatedly broken trust with him? And Isaiah's amazing answer, the good news that brings comfort, is that God not only has the ability to save, but he also wants to save. And we'll go to extreme lengths, as we'll see in the coming weeks, um, to restore the hearts of his people. Far from giving up on his people because of their sins, he intends to use their lives as incontrovertible evidence of his sole deity. 
that he was the Lord of history who delivered those who would obey, and he continues to be the Lord of history to deliver those who disobey but who turn to him in faith. God's trustworthiness, God's faithfulness does not end with our disobedience. And God will demonstrate his absolute superiority by doing something new, something unheard of, uh, causing a people to return from exile, causing a people whose hearts had strayed from him in sin to, um, to have atonement, to have this um, suffering servant who takes the punishment that they deserve. And so um, we're getting to those chapters, but today he's going to focus on that question of who is this God and can he deliver on what he's promised to do. So um, let me read. Uh, we'll read the entirety of chapter 40, but again, we'll probably be focusing only on um, verses 9 uh, through the end of the chapter, since we covered verses 1 through 8 pretty well last week. Uh, but I'll, just so it's all in context, I'll read the entirety of the chapter for us, and then we'll pray, and then begin our discussion of God's word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclose the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him, 
They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, he who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exalted, exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Thus far the word of our God. Let's go to him and ask him to increase its hearing in our hearts by the power of his spirit. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We do come this day to bring you worship and praise. You, O oh sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful God, all-knowing God, who has made all things by your word. Lord God, who has created the heavens above, who's measured out the dust of the earth, whose power raises up kings and princes and brings them down in a moment. You, Lord God, are the Holy One who cannot abide the presence of sin. 
and all the power of sinful humanity is nothing before you, is emptiness. Lord God, we confess that our sin has marred your perfect creation. And we are without hope, apart from you. Lord God, that you are the one who has, the only one, who has the ability to deliver us from sin and death. And Lord God, you are the one who's disclosed your will to save, your intentions to save your people through your covenant and the words of your prophets. Lord God, as we study uh, today, uh, show us yourself. Reveal yourself to us that we might bask in the glory of who you are and be prepared to see your mighty works done. Give us ears to hear. Give us tongues to confess your praise and to sing your praises. Give us hearts to be melted by your grace and the depths of your love and give us wills to do that which you've commanded us. Lord God, we can't do these things in ourselves. We need your spirit. So give us that Holy Spirit in abundance this day and may Christ speak from the temple of our hearts as we study your living word. Almighty God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so in verse 9 of chapter 40, uh, we have this, this command uh, to, to Zion, to Jerusalem. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. So here, Jerusalem's being depicted as this, you know, getting up on a high place and speaking forth this gospel, this good news. Um, so what is the message that we have uh, Jerusalem, Zion, commanded to speak in this chapter? So what is the good news that we see here? Yeah, Teresa. Okay, so take comfort, and specifically take comfort in the Lord. Um, you know, don't take, I mean, it's so easy for us to kind of get comfortable in circumstances. And, but, you know, as this chapter uh, so um, beautifully points out, circumstances can change. <laughs> I, I love, um, I, I took my glasses off, so I have to get like this to the book. Um, I love verse 24, this kind of this uh, three times using the word scarcely, you know, <laughs> that just sort of scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. You know, so these powerful princes, these great rulers of the earth, you know, are just of a scarce moment. So, if, you, know, um, you know, whatever comfort 
his people are to derive, it's not going to be from a human king like a Hezekiah, even though he was a good king, um, even though he was a king who we saw back in chapter 38, uh, prayed and, and humbled himself and exercised trust in God. The very next chapter, <laughs> we see him, you know, uh, succumb to his own pride and, and, is, and is judged because of it. So whatever comfort is going to come, it's not going to come from man. Good. What else would you say is the good news we see in this? Yeah, Ronnie, I actually saw that hand. I can make it to about the uh, third row, and, uh, and then you're all in faceless blur. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So, yeah, maybe he's looking off to rest. Again, restoration is going to be the theme. Um, but I don't think we're quite yet the restoration from the exile in this chapter. Uh, you know, it's coming, and it's part of it, but there's something maybe a little more fundamental. Uh, I thought I saw a hand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the, I mean, in, in a sense, the, 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 the message summed up is the end of verse 9. Behold your God. <laughs> that's, the, that's the good news. Um, that's the message he's, He's speaking forth here. You know, go up, herald of good news. And what's the good news? Behold, your God. And the rest of the chapter is going to be um, an explanation, an exposition on who this God is. But the good news at its heart is that this God is present among his people. Um, I love Calvin um, described this verse this way. This verse captures the heart of the gospel. The sum of our happiness consists solely in the presence of God. Um, it, it's, it's not, you know, the material circumstances. It's not having, you know, uh, some kind of, uh, oh, things are good uh, now. It's the presence of God. That's the good news. Um, and that presence of that God will bring uh, the people back from exile. But their good news is still good news. I mean, remember, this is being delivered before they've gone into exile. And it's good news then um, that what is good for the people of God is having the presence of God among them. Yeah, Jane. Yeah, and that's the, you know, it's the problem that the exile, the theological problem that the exile presents. You know, well, I, you know, remember that message that um, uh, the Rabshakeh uh, presents to Jerusalem. You know, if, if we conquer Jerusalem, clearly that'll show the God of the Assyrians is greater than the God of Israel. And that's the, the worldview. Whoever wins, their God wins. And, you know, so the theological problem that Isaiah is having to, to deal with just because the people are going into to captivity doesn't mean that God's forgotten them. It doesn't mean that God 
doesn't see the injustice and unrighteousness that the Babylonians were going to commit. Um, just like, you know, again, it's sort of like a, a, a replaying of the captivity in Egypt. You know, God hears the cries of his people for those 400 years of captivity, and then God acts. Uh, but it, it's not that he was powerless, <laughs> you know, that he's, he's working on his, his time frame. And in his time frame, these kingdoms, the Babylonians, you know, they're just, uh, you know, a breath. You know, they're scarcely there. And, you know, it's this reorientation uh, of, of for, for the Judeans, but also for us. You know, this reorientation is, wait a minute, you're, you're, if you think that God's forgotten you, or you think that your present circumstances somehow um, are the result of, you know, like the, um, you know, it, it's, it's uh, oh, what's his name, Kushner's, you know, answer to the Holocaust. Well, it's because God wasn't powerful enough um, to stop the iniquities of the Nazis. No. <laughs> um, and it, he doesn't answer all the, the questions. You know, uh, this chapter is so similar to the last chapters of the book of Job. You know, he's, he's not telling them why the exile, he, you know, he's not letting them into the kind of, you know, why all this has to take place at this moment. He's starting with, look, you, your trust isn't um, in the circumstances. Your trust should be in the one who holds the circumstances. Your trust should be in the presence of this God. Um, yeah, Teresa. No, absolutely. Um, I think it was J. Gresham Machen. Uh, Love this chapter because he is like, you will never find <laughs> better poetry. Uh, um, you know, you the English language. He was talking specifically about the King James. He loved this chapter in the King James. He's like, this is the height <laughs> of of what uh, the English language can communicate, and it is. I mean, I mean the picture uh, that he gives. I mean, I love. Uh, verses 10 and or especially verse 11 he will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young and you know you have this you know great juxtaposition of this you know notice how tender those words are you know how careful um, how protective, um, how loving. And then, I mean, the amazing part of this good news is that the person who demonstrates that tenderness, the one who possesses that kind of loving care, is this God who measures out the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. Um, this God who, who numbers the stars, and the stars don't appear uh, in the heavens. You know, there's not one missing, you know, uh, because of his power. You know, and it's this great, you know, you have this, this God who possesses all power and at the same time, you know, can exercise 
such tender individual care. I mean, that, you know, you're so right, Teresa. This is just so beautiful, uh, the picture we're given. Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's you know, I think I used this image last week. Um when I was little, I uh I loved those like um Oh, I guess they were from like the 60s, maybe. Because you see these horrible B movies on television. So is the you know where the hippie kids like take whatever kind of drugs and it accidentally makes them into giants, you know. And then you know like they you know, you know as giants they you know don't realize their own strength and you know so funny things. Happen.